there is a man in Scripture who has a very high profile. He was a father. He was not a perfect man, nor was he a perfect dad. He was flawed in his own ways, but he left a very positive legacy when he died. His name is David. He was the second king of Israel. And God put him in that place of kingship because God understood that under all of David's good, under all of David's bad, there was a heart, a heart that pursued God, a heart that desired the things of God. And so although David was flawed as a king and as a father, God used him. We know from Scripture that uh, David messed up badly. He committed adultery. He arranged for one of his subordinates to be murdered. He had some of his own emotional issues from time to time as he lived his life. He was a sensitive man. He was a musician. He was a talented songwriter. He wrote so many of the inspired songs that we call the Psalms in the center parts of our Bible. In those Psalm songs, we learn of David's challenges. We learn about his fears, but also his faith. We learn about his episodes of envy, times of feeling hopelessness, of his depression. We learn of David's doubts in the songs that are in the Bible. We learn on the one hand of his times of anger, and on the other hand, his times of praise. David was real. He was a real man. He was a real father. And David, by God's grace and for God's glory, left a God-honoring legacy despite his sins, despite his character flaws, and despite his situational bouts with fear. And I want you men especially to hear me now. This David of Scripture could and did leave a God-honoring legacy because, because he believed that God was able to forgive him and that God was going to make a way back to himself for David in David's repentance. David left a God-honoring legacy even though he sinned in many ways, in ways that most persons may have written him off, David left a God-honoring legacy because he banked on something. He banked on God's immense forgiving heart. He banked on God's provided way for him to go back to a close relationship with God in repentance and in obedience. David learned what we need to learn. David banked on the forgiving heart of God as we do, fathers and men. We need to bank on the forgiving heart of God, realizing that our sins may anchor us to the shoal, but our Savior can lift up our anchors from the tongue of the ocean to bring those anchors safely back aboard holy God's ship. We know that God actually did forgive David of the sins that are recorded in Scripture because God heard his prayer of confession and his heart of repentance in 
the 51st Psalm. That is one to mark in your Bible, men, if you'd like to see a beautiful, inspired prayer of repentance and confession of sin. I have prayed that prayer many times in my life. We know that God forgave David of adultery and of murder because God allowed David to sit on the throne as king of Israel and did not remove him, further did not have him stoned to death by execution, which the Mosaic law prescribed for anyone who committed premeditated murder. And so we know that God forgave a repentant David, and God forgives the repentant father, man, and woman, for that matter, who will turn from sin and faith and desire to live in obedience to the word of God. And so you may probably be here in this service, Dad, aware that you are far from perfect, aware that you have flaws in your character which will not go down without a fight. You may be sitting here, Dad, knowing right well you have blown it and sinned in many times and ways. And you may have times when you doubt God and get fearful and angry. Maybe, Dad, you're here and you aren't always a good role model to your kids, and you know that. And maybe, Dad, you're sitting listening to this sermon, and some persons, maybe even your wives, have written you off. But God has not. God has not written you off. I'm pretty sure that the majority of fathers in the sound of my voice, including this father in the sound of his own voice, feels many, if not all, of those things this morning. And so, brothers, don't give up. But by the same token, don't carry on going forward the way that you have in the past. May this be a half hour of steps of faith in our lives as Christian fathers and men. Steps of faith. To learn what we should learn this morning from King David, to see the legacy which he left behind to his son Solomon, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 4. Flip in your Bibles, if you would, or scroll through your electronic devices to 1 Kings 2 verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Basically, I'd like us to see in the minutes we have this morning that there are five parts to King David's legacy spoken to his son Solomon. Number one, David said to him, you are going to die one day as well. Second part of the legacy, be strong by showing yourself to be a man. 
Third, obey God in God's ways. Four, real success is tied to God's reward. And fifth, God keeps all of his promises. So let's look at this legacy that a dying King David gave to his son Solomon, a wonderful legacy. Let's look at these five things one by one. First, David left the legacy to Solomon. You are going to die one day as well. You know, young men need to hear that. Young women need to hear that. You are going to die one day as well. David said in verses one and two, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. If a funeral director like my grandfather now in glory and my father still with us, if a funeral director is honest when he's asked, what do you do? He will say, I wait. That's what a funeral director does. He waits. Funeral directors are all waiting because we are all dying. Someone has said, you don't know how to live until you know how to die. That's true. As Christians who take God's word as being God's word and true wisdom, we need to agree with those thoughts. In Hebrews 9, verse 27, we read, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Have you ever thought of that? That you have an appointment, not with a dentist but with death, as do I. Secondly, Psalm 90, verse 12, is one of the verses that really has rung in my heart for many years. So teach us, prayer to God, so teach us to number our days. You know that your days are numbered. So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee, God, a heart of wisdom. Implication being, if we will not learn to number our days, that our lives have a shelf life, that we have a best before date known only to our creator, if we never learn those things, we cannot present to our creator and savior a heart of wisdom. And so the first point of David's legacy left to Solomon was the simple truth, you are going to die one day as well as me. The second point of David's legacy left to Solomon was be strong by showing yourself to be a man. David said to Solomon, be strong. How? By showing yourself to be a man. Verse 2. I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Show yourself a man. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11 we get further light on what it means to show yourself to be a man. It says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. I'm here to tell you this morning in love, the boys are not men, and men ought not to be boys. Men, by definition, are no longer boys. Men have graduated from their boyhoods. But the sad thing is that we all know some men who can only prove themselves to be a man by pointing to their date of birth on their driver's licenses. 
because their behaviors are not manly or mature. Their behaviors are otherwise other than being a man. We all know, even more sad, some men die still being a boy. Some men die still being a boy. And many marriages are actually a woman who mothers a boy she calls her husband. Guys, we know that we have graduated from being a boy to becoming a man when there are three words all beginning with the letter P in play in our daily living. Number one, we know that we have graduated boy school to become a man when we provide for our families. That's the first P word. We provide for our families. That is monetary currency, but more. It's emotional currency, but more. It's spiritual currency. When you are no longer a boy, but a man, you provide for your family. Number two, we protect our families from Satan and the world and their own flesh. We know that we have graduated boy school to become a full-fledged man when we protect our families, our wives and our children, our grandchildren. When we protect our families from Satan and from a world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus completely out, and we protect them from their own flesh. And so we lock the doors of our homes and apartments every night. And we take our families to the Bible every day. And we pray for and we pray with our families every day. And so if you have graduated boy school to become a godly man, you provide for your family, you protect your family, and you prime your family. You prime your family. What I'm saying by that is a godly, grown-up man who is a believer is constantly laying the railroad tracks that he wants his family to run on because the railroad tracks that he is laying every day are heading to the destination of Christ-likeness. He has no track veering off to anything else. He's laying the track for himself and for his family. He's, being, he's priming the pump of the function of his family so that they go down the rails to Christ-likeness for themselves. We prime our families. Just like when we paint things and we want the paint coat to last long enough, we buy primer paint and we scrape the thing that needs scraping and painting and we put the primer paint on first and then we put the top coat of paint on the primer. Godly, grown-up, mature Christian men prime their families, knowing a couple things. They prime their families knowing that their sons will copy them when they are husbands. They prime their families knowing that their daughters will marry men like them. Grown-up Christian men prime their families. In a general sense, we accept the responsibilities of being a dad. We shoulder them. We don't shirk them. 
responsibilities like making hard decisions, like taking the lead in training and disciplining our children, like not resting until we find employment if we're unemployed. We accept the responsibilities that come to a grown-up man who is a husband and a father. We provide proper male influence for our children. It's already been cited more than once in this service, and I'm so glad it has been, that there are plenty of dads in this assembly that aren't biological or adoptive dads, but they are dads spiritually to young people. All the years of Awana, all the recent years of cross trainers and Sunday school and junior church and befriending young people in, in this assembly, there are plenty of godly Christian men who go to Centerville Primary regularly to be a godly male influence with the kids at Centerville Primary that do, have, do not have a positive male spiritual influence in their lives. And so we accept the responsibilities of providing that male influence with tender love and with guidance and with spiritual care and with courage, tailor-made courage for our kids. You do know your kids are ones of a kind, that one size doesn't fit all with your children, that if you're going to be a grown-up, spiritual, male, mature husband and father, you're going to have to recognize that each of the children on loan to you from God are different. And how you will encourage them and bless them will be different. I love the letter that the school principal in Singapore, Singapore sent out before the exams at school. Dear parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know that you are all really anxious for your child to do well. But please remember, amongst the students who will be sitting for the exams, there is an artist who doesn't need to understand math. There is an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There is a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does get top marks, that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They are cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and will not judge them. Please do this. And when you do, watch your children conquer the world. One exam or a low mark won't take away their dreams and talent. And please, do not think that doctors and engineers are the only happy people in the world. The godly, mature man who is a father recognizes that encouragement needs to be tailor-made to his children or to his spiritual children. Sacrifice and chivalry and leadership are all parts of this male influence. I met a man, Beth and I met a man recently from Michigan. His name was Leroy. He talked about how he had never really earned much money in his work, although he worked hard, and he put his daughter through college, through nursing school, by chopping wood. In Michigan, you need firewood if you want to save costs on heating, and he chopped firewood, and he told his daughter if she'd apply herself in nurses' college and do her best and get decent grades, he would put her through by chopping wood. 
And he did. Chopping wood is hard work. Very hard work. He wasn't a young man when I met him. And she was still in nursing school. He was still chopping wood. Sacrifice. Christian boys who've grown into Christian men understand that being strong is part and parcel of that calling. Verse 2b, David said from his deathbed, Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. And men, our strength should be an iron fist, but the iron fist must be in a velvet glove. An iron fist in a velvet glove. Soft and tender touch, but firm. An iron fist in a velvet glove. And of course, part of assuming our responsibilities to have a positive and godly male influence is to love God and to love people with our all. I want to come to my deathbed, and you could accurately and reasonably say, He loved God, He left nothing on the table when it came to loving God. And he loved people. He left nothing on the table when it came to opportunities to love people. In the NBA final, my Toronto Raptors won. I couldn't avoid fixing that in there somehow. (laughs) 24 years, proud of them. But you know, I was more proud of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, the injuries that those lads contended with. Kevin Durant and... Then Clay Thompson, he rips out his knee and shoots two foul throws before they had to crutch out of the arena to the MRI. Golden State Warriors left it all on the court. Nobody could argue that they left anything back. They did their best. When it comes to loving God, when it comes to loving persons, I want to be like that. I don't want to leave anything not on the court. I want to spend it all. That's part of being a man who loves Jesus. The third thing in King David's legacy that he left with Solomon, we see, is he told his son, obey God, but in God's ways. Obey God, but in the ways that God has prescribed. Do you see it there in verse 3? And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. King David, of course, at the time that he lived, he lived at a time or a dispensation, an economy of things with God, that God said Jews at that time would be saved by God's grace through faith in God as they sought to live by the law of God, the Mosaic law. None of them lived by the Mosaic law completely. It was impossible to do. But when they fell short, they offered the animal sacrifices that were prescribed, and God credited to their accounts faith in him to try to keep his law. That's how David was to express a saving faith in God. He was to seek to live by the law of the Old Testament. And basically... Uh, David told Solomon from David's deathbed, you do the same, son. You seek to obey God's statutes, his testimonies, to the best of your ability. You follow the prescribed remedies when you don't. Offer the right sacrifices wrapped in the Mosaic covenant. And God has told you like he told me before you, that if you keep 
my commandments, I'll bless you. But if you disobey my commandments, I'll curse you. And so from his deathbed, the king told his son, obey God in God's ways. Of course, the ways that we demonstrate our saving faith in God is to place our full trust, our faith completely on who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross and how he's been raised from the dead. That's how we express saving faith in this dispensation, this spiritual economy, this administration that God has laid out in his word. But after we have put our saving faith in Christ and only Christ, then God wants us to live out that faith to be changed men and women, to be changed by obeying the commandments of the New Testament. For example, forgive one another. Doing that? Ephesians 4.32. Or do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. Or be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. Ephesians 5.18. Or, as long as you are able, don't stop attending a church worship service. That's a command. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Or Matthew 22, 37 to 39. The command, with, all, with your all, with every fiber within you, love God and love people. These are commands. That when we place our faith on Christ and what he has done for us to provide a salvation, forgiveness of sins, when we keep these commands and all the other commands of the New Testament, we are showing people we're for real. We're legit. And dads back then at Solomon's time, when they obeyed the law to the best of their ability, it left a positive legacy for their kids. But equally, dads at the time of King David and later King Solomon, who didn't regard the law of God, also left a legacy, a terrible legacy, for their children who observed how they disobeyed God knowingly. You do know that your kids are all video surveillance cameras. They record everything. <laughs> everything. Everything they see, everything they hear, and they see and they hear way more than you think. It's like the preacher who was invited to lunch by some folks in the church. And it was that scramble before the company sits at the dining room table. The table's all formally set for dinner. And the, the mother, the, the wife of the home, is busy. And she's coming out of the kitchen. And she plunks herself down. And she's just too out of breath to pray. So she turns to the son and says, Billy, you give thanks for the food. You pray. And he says, I don't know what to pray. And she says, well, just pray as you've heard me pray. Oh, God, why do we ever invite the preacher over today? <laughs> video camcorders. Kids are video camcorders. They tell you the truth, and they sniff out all genuine Christianity, but they equally sniff out all uh, hypocrisies, right? Kids parrot what they hear. They mimic what they see. And like I said earlier in this message, when all is said and done for Robert Elliott, when all is said and done, I want to leave a legacy of obeying my God by obeying his word and to the best of my ability, 
living what I've been preaching. The fourth part of King David's legacy to Solomon, real success is tied to God's reward. Real success is tied to God's reward. You see it there in verse 3 with me? And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that, so that, you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Succeeding is tied to God rewarding obedience. Succeeding is tied as a reward to obeying God's commandments. This is what a dying David, in so many words, told to his son. You may succeed in all that you do if you obey God. You may succeed in everything you turn your life to if you're obeying God. May I remind us that we may have outward appearance of success, but if we are disobeying God, God doesn't view what the world views as success as being success. God says that true success is rooted in obedience to him and that true success is a reward to those who obey him. The great hymn that we have loved for many years, says it well, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And so David used some of his dying last breaths to tell Solomon that real success is tied to God's reward and that he, Solomon, and we today, both of us, should not lose sight of the fact that a life of obedience to God is successful in God's eyes, and God's eyes are the only eyes that matter. And so in the long run, it does not matter whether you get a lot or a little education. In the long run, it doesn't matter if you're paid a lot or paid a little for your life's work. In the long run, it doesn't matter if you can read or you can't read. It doesn't matter if you'll get noticed or you never get noticed. It doesn't matter if you're popular or you aren't. It doesn't matter if you have expensive things or you don't. What does matter, and what does matter a lot, is whether or not you obey God and his word. Those of us who obey are successes by God's measurement, and those of us who disobey are failures by God's measurement. God rewards obedience with success. God judges disobedience with failure. Galatians 6, 7 is the, the farmer's verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. You can't sow sapadeli seeds and get cassava. Verse 3, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Last of five parts of the legacy that King David left to Solomon is this, God keeps all his promises. Do you believe that? God keeps all his promises. He does. There's a future for Israel. The church doesn't replace Israel. 
God keeps all of his promises made to Israel. God keeps all of his promises made to Gentile believers. God keeps all his promises to do with judgment of unbelievers at the end of the age. God keeps all of his promises. Verse 4, so that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, that's David, saying, if your sons are careful in their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. We aren't told, but probably it could be likely that at this point in King David's life, aged King David, near death, that perhaps his memory sometimes failed him about certain things. But I'll tell you one thing that his memory never failed him about was that God had made promises to him in his life that God had never broken or forgotten. And that God had a big doozy of a promise that David would not see because he would die first, that descendants of David would sit on the Davidic throne in Israel. And so David, in his legacy, says, Son, God made me a promise about the throne and how you and your descendants will sit on it. God keeps his promises. We can read of the actual contents of the Davidic covenant, the promise. I'll leave that for your own reading in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 12 to 16. It's just a few pages back from 1 Kings 2, where we are today. But God made a promise that David's descendants would sit on a throne. And you know who the supreme descendant of David is going to sit on that particular throne in Jerusalem is? King Jesus Christ. Descendant, humanly speaking, of David. God keeps his promises. And so dads that love the Lord, you may want to pass on a legacy in your last will and testament, which, by the way, if you at all can do that, is prudent responsibility to have a will to help those who are left behind after you go to know how to disperse your assets. But a last will and testament as a legal document will talk about assets and how they are to be dispersed. But for the Christian dad, our spiritual last will and testament should be that we are about leaving the promises of God with our kids, telling them the promises of God, writing out the promises of God so that they know what God has promised to them in his word. That's way more important than assets. That's way more important than money or what money could buy. Way more important. Well, I want to wrap this up. This is quite a legacy. And the legacy, again, to read, well, first to summarize and then to read, David used some of his last breath to say to his son Solomon, next in line for the throne, son, you're going to die one day as well as me. Son, be strong by showing yourself to be a man. Son, obey God in God's ways. Son, Real success is tied to God's reward. And son, God keeps all of his promises. May that be the legacy we leave, men. May that be what our children hear from us and observe in us. As David's time to draw 
to die drew near. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Happy Father's Day, men. We are building now the legacy that we will leave later. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for King David being brought back from the precipice of personal sin to be forgiven and to be graciously allowed to leave a godly legacy to Solomon. Lord, may we take it to heart. And if sometimes we feel like the anchor of our lives is caught on the shoal of sin, May we believe, Lord, as David did, that you can reach to the tongue of the ocean to lift that sin up, to forgive it, and restore us to fellowship with you. Lord, for the men that are walking in victory in their roles as fathers, bless them, encourage them, help them to be the men that you've made them to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.